0: Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy! Enjoy! Well, it's so great to be with you today, wherever you are. And for those of you who may be joining us for the first time today, I'd like to say a special hello and welcome to you. We're so thankful that you've joined us today. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at The Bridge. And if you're joining us live right now, depending on the time, I'm either getting ready to go out and share this message live at our Kanata campus in just a few moments, or I'm actually right in the middle of sharing it, because today we are re-relaunching our Kanata campus and having in-person services once again. And we're thrilled about that because what a roller coaster we've been on these last few months. We relaunched our Kanata campus back in September after 18 months of being exclusively online. And the first few weeks of that relaunch, even the first month, it was shaky. That routines were rusty, systems were dusty, but together we pushed through it. And I felt like we were just starting to get back into the swing of things and we were just starting to gain some momentum. And then, after taking two steps forward, December hit. And it felt like we took 12 steps backwards. You can use whatever cliche you want. You could say, you know, it took the wind out of our sails or the rug was pulled out from under us. It was like a punch to the gut or a kick in the... You can use whatever cliche you want. We felt it. I felt it. Like I was on the biggest, nastiest roller coaster of all time. And not just here at the church or in my job, but in so many other arenas of my life. Since September, I made a personal commitment to my health and I was making some progress that I was proud of. And then just like here at the church, December and January hit and the gyms were closed. And when that happened, I was so discouraged. I was frustrated, annoyed, like all that progress and momentum, it was just interrupted just like that. It's like just when you thought we were starting to turn a corner and life was starting to feel normal again, or at least livable or doable, just like that, down we go again. And this drop, this fall, for some reason, this drop, for, it, it just seemed, well, it just seemed further. The frustration of it, the weight of it, the despair that it created, it just, just felt further. Look, we've had a lot of twists and turns and drops like this over the last couple of years, but this one, at least for me and maybe for you, it felt different. Maybe it was because of how unexpected it was. Maybe it was because of how high we were prior to the drop. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how to even articulate it. Which is why I'm so thankful that Solomon, said to be the wisest man who ever lived, I'm thankful that he penned words that express and explain what most of us, if not all of us, have felt. In the book of Proverbs, which I tell people is the Christian book of fortune cookies, in Proverbs, Solomon wrote these words. He said, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Doesn't that sound like a fortune cookie? (laughs) Well, it's not. These are actually really wise words from Solomon. No one likes waiting, right? Least of all me. And what Solomon said way back then is so true of you and I today. Solomon said in his wisdom, when our hope is deferred or when our hope is put off, the disappointment, the discouragement and disillusionment that comes with that, it impacts our heart. When hope is crushed, our heart is crushed. It takes something from us, something out of us. It leaves us edgy, critical, cynical. Many of us are there today. Today. We're nothing like a tree of life which represents or illustrates a life, a dream, or a hope, renewed. But see, when hope is alive, our hearts beat with optimism. We feel refreshed. But I know, at least for me and maybe for you, that's where I want to be and what I want to be, but that isn't always where or what I am. And see, it would be one thing if those thoughts and feelings were isolated to COVID, but the truth is I remember all too well at many different times in my life where unexpected twists and turns and huge drops occurred, where the rug was pulled out from under me in just an instant, when the curtain was pulled back and I discovered how naive I was and how things aren't always as they seem. How life has a way of twisting and turning at speeds that make me want to yak, right? And the older I get, it seems the faster the speeds are. It seems the higher the highs and the lows, well, they seem to get lower and lower and lower the older I get. And just when you think the ride might be over, another spiral upside down and round and round, you go like, it's just unexpected. It's overwhelming. It's frustrating. And the screams, like they may only be internal, but they're just as real, right? Tom Cochran saying, life is a highway, but I think life is a roller coaster. And roller coasters are kind of an odd thing, aren't they? I mean, some people love them and other people hate them. How about you? Are you a roller coaster lover? Good Good for you. Sicko. We'll, we'll pray for you after the service. But for me, look, I have a love-hate relationship with roller coasters. I do. I, I love them before I get on them. I love them after I get off them. But the whole time I'm going up that first climb, I'm like, we're good, right, Jesus? Like, I'm praying the whole time, making sure I'm okay with him. And then after that first drop, like, I'm praying the whole time, Lord Jesus, save me! Like, I'm screaming like a grade, kid in grade four. And then if you're anything like me, the ride ends and that one minute of insanity becomes something you laugh about as you walk up to the kiosk and see yourself in that picture they take of you. I hate those, right? But you laugh and you joke about it after, right? That moment, it becomes a memory. It becomes a story you tell. And see, for me, the only thing that gets me through that roller coaster is that I know that roller coaster ride is going to end. The yes, it's hell for me, but only for a little while. And while many of the roller coasters I've been on have lasted maybe a minute or two, the truth is I've been on roller coasters in life that have lasted years. I have pictures from seasons of my life I don't want to see again and stories that are hard to tell. Seasons where my heart was sick because of how long I'd held out hope and waited. And my guess is, so do you. We've all been on roller coasters in this theme park called life. And the truth is there are twists and turns and ups and downs that we don't see coming, yet we feel the toll they take on us day after day after day. It's exhausting. It's deflating. It's depressing. It's the roller coaster that keeps you up at night, staring at the ceiling. It's the roller coaster that maybe has you hearing yourself saying things like, things are just happening too fast. Things are changing too quickly. Why did I do this? Why did I start that? Why didn't I stop that? I can't take it anymore, will, will this ever end? You can't find a job maybe, maybe you can't keep a job. Or you got a job but then the job changed or it isn't what you thought it was. The bills keep coming and then there's an unexpected bill that shows up. The bank balance is sub-zero and your marriage is colder than that. Or you wish you were married or you just went out on a first date and then you got a second date but for you there's never a third and you don't know why. Your kids are out of control, you can't control your kids, you wish you had kids. You wish you could deal with what your kid is dealing with. You wish your doctor could control what's taken over you. You wish that addiction that has taken over you was something that you could get freedom over. And see, it's a roller coaster. And when it comes to the roller coaster, we wish we could predict the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns. See, on a roller coaster ride, the unknown is what makes that ride fun. But that's not so true of real life, is it? We wish we could predict the twists and the turns. Isolate them. Deal with them one at a time. That would at least make life more manageable. But just when you're dealing with this turn, another one happens. Or the bottom drops out over here, and pretty soon you're just white-knuckling the handle. And you go into each day, you're you're just edgy. Just holding on for dear life, waiting for what's coming next. And we don't see clearly when we're on the roller coaster. Things happen too fast. Our thoughts betray us. We second guess everything and everyone. Fear, worry, despair, grief, our emotions, they enslave us. Everything is uncertain, and you can feel yourself just spiraling. And the worst part is, you still have to live your life. You still have to make decisions. Am I going to go? Am I going to stay? Do we take the deal? Do I have the surgery? Do I take that job? Do I leave this job? Do I talk to him? Do I believe her? Like real life? It's like we're on a roller coaster Canada's wonderland can't compete with. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to use this time to learn how to live with hope amidst the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs of life. And I hope that you're going to join us for this entire series because this roller coaster we're on, it's relentless. It's unpredictable, it's exhausting, it's overwhelming and it has the potential to make our stomach sick and worse than that, our hearts sick which is why I'm so glad you're here today and why I hope that you'll come back for the next three weeks because I believe as relentless as this roller coaster is I believe there's a way to recapture hope. A hope we can have not when the ride is over but a hope that we can have and hold on to and maintain amidst whatever comes our way. To get us started today to learn how to maintain hope no matter how many twists and turns we experience in life, today and for the rest of this series, we're going to look into the pages of history and look at a man named Elisha. Elisha was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he often gets confused with another prophet named Elijah. And for good reason. Their names sound really similar, don't they? (laughs) But the interesting thing is, even though their names sound the same, they're actually connected. Elijah was actually Elisha's mentor. Elijah took Elisha under his wing and he showed him the ropes of what being a prophet was and what it meant. Elijah helped Elisha develop what God had put in him to do and where we're about to pick up, Elijah has passed on all he knows to Elisha and then he passes away. Elisha is fully equipped and he's released into his ministry and where we're going to pick up in his story and focus on in this series, Elisha encounters two women who have nothing in common with the exception of the fact that they're both on a roller coaster. And the roller coaster has left one woman desperate while the other one has given up completely. And in his interactions with these two women, Elisha ministers and administers hope. And if we'll pay attention, I believe their interactions will minister to us as well. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, we read, One day, one day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and she cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Elisha encounters a woman who is the wife of a deceased prophet. Her husband was a pastor, a preacher, a man of God, and everything was fine while he was alive. The church took good care of them. But now he's gone, and she's in trouble. This woman who was married to a prophet, she is a woman who has given her entire life to spreading the message of God, but now she finds herself with two sons that she's in jeopardy of losing. She's living in a twist or a turn that she didn't expect or see coming. She wasn't prepared for this. She's dropping deeper and deeper in debt, and debt can be a terrible, terrible thing. It's a thing that can rob you of your pride, your your self-respect, and your dignity. In fact, debt can be the type of enslavement or bondage that entraps you in such a way that it brings you down to places you're ashamed of being. Now, I know you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I've been in that place. I've been there. I know what it's like to answer the phone and mask my voice. It's like, hello, Scott? No, this is Regina Falange, right? Like, have you ever had to deal with a situation without letting other people know that you were dealing with that situation? Have you ever got a cutoff notice? Has your phone ever been disconnected? Have you ever had to park the car somewhere else or disguise your voice on the line? Have you ever had to apply to something in your kid's name? This woman was in debt, and that debt took everything she had, and the only thing it left her with was stress. This woman is exhausted. She's frustrated. And see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all have problems, right? Right? Can we be honest? We all have problems. We all have them. But the interesting thing is, while we all have them, we all act like we don't. Why? Because we don't like our problems being public. We prefer them to stay private, don't we? When we go through twists and turns in life, whether it's a consequence of a decision you made or an unexpected series of events, when you go through those ups and downs and those twists and turns and it continues to fester without any sort of resolution, what was once private, it eventually becomes Public. Eventually, it becomes very difficult to hide from those around us that we're going through a personal problem because the personal problem always has a tendency to eventually become public. And this woman has reached a level of frustration that the private problem is so public now that when she sees Elisha, she just dumps on him. She dumps on him without any reservation, without any type of protocol or manner. She is so tired and exhausted and frustrated. She has become so desperate that when she sees him, she just breaks down. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Have you ever been there? Life has knocked you down so hard and for so long, you just lose all sense of control when you're finally able to vent or release. When you finally let it out, you can't control how it comes out. You're beyond emotional? Of course not. Who am I talking to? But see, that's where this woman is. She's like, I'm in debt. The prophet is dead. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she says something that's so revealing. She says, you know how he feared the Lord. You know how he feared the Lord. See, if you read between the lines, there's an implication of frustration that's beginning to surface. What she's really saying, what she's really asking is, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? How could I serve God so faithfully and yet find myself in this predicament? How could I help other people with their children and my own children be in a situation like this? How could I have hosted a circle at the bridge and now Helen and I are talking about a divorce? How could I train the person who ends up becoming my supervisor? How is it I can serve God, serve and bridge kids, give my tithe, take communion, and find myself in this unfair situation? Like, I know you've never questioned God, but I have to be honest and tell you that there have been many times in my life where I've gone off the grid and been on the outside looking in, and I've asked God, why? Why? Why does it seem like those who live against you seem to prosper, and I'm here trying to honor you, and I'm in the pit? Why? Why does it seem like those who don't care go uncaught? Why? Why is it injustice seems to abound, and the more I try and serve you, things in my life get worse instead of better? Why? Why does it look like I had more money when I didn't try and honor you with it? Why? Like, I know you've never asked, but sometimes I ask him, why? 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 She says she's now reached such a paramount place in her debt that in despair she shares that her sons are now in jeopardy to her creditors. And let's be real, let's be real. It's one thing to lose your car or your house, your your investments or your retirement, but what's weighing on her, she says, they're about to sell my children to pay off my debt. Like She's desperate. And see, sometimes, sometimes you have to get desperate to get delivered. As long as you're casual and indifferent about your situation, you really can't get a breakthrough. Sometimes push has to come to shove. Sometimes you have to go from bad to worse. Sometimes you have to become indignant. You just have to get to the place in your life where you say, I don't care what I have to do. I don't care what I look like. I don't even care what you think of me. I don't care anymore. I need a breakthrough today. You see, when people aren't desperate, they can maintain their composure. But when people are desperate, they lose sense of concern or care as to what people think of them and they'll do, try or say just about anything and that's where this woman is. The implication of the statement she makes is met with more questions from the prophet. So Elisha asks, what can I do? What can I do to help you? And what happens after this question is so important yet it's so easy to just gloss over it quickly. There is a principle here that is so important for us to understand and begin applying to our lives as we live through the ups and the downs of life. You see, you see, this woman is so tired and so desperate that she wants Elisha to resolve the situation. Elisha is a prophet. He has compassion for this woman, yet he doesn't resolve the issue for her. Before she can even answer his initial question, he asks her another. He says, tell me, what do you have in the house And as I said earlier, you can't see clearly when you're on the roller coaster. It's hard to think rationally when you're emotional. So Elisha is trying to help her stop, clear her head, and stop thinking about the twists and the turns she's been taking. And he tries to get her to refocus. She has to mentally regroup and refocus. Because again, when you're on the roller coaster, when you're on the roller coaster, when life has you white knuckling the handle, you're in a constant haze. And when you're on the roller coaster, oftentimes you can't see clearly because you can't even keep your eyes open. Your emotions are high. Your fear is crippling. You're unstable. Your feet are shaky. Your stomach is queasy. Your heart is heavy. And when you get to that place, when you get to that place, you often make desperate decisions, which oftentimes only make things worse. And again, that's where this woman is. And maybe, maybe that's where you are. Elisha is trying to show this woman something, and what he's trying to show her is so important. He can't ride the roller coaster for her, just as no one can ride the roller coaster for you. Your life is your life. Her life has left her desperate, and in her desperation, Elisha helps her stop, breathe, refocus, and gain stability. And in order to bring her to a place of stability, he asks her a question. What's in your house And this is an important and valuable question because it's the premise on which miracles are extracted. God will always use something in your house. God will always use something in your house so you've got to know what you've got. You have to take stock of your inventory and see, we all make this mistake. We make the mistake of taking stock of what other people have. But you have to be acutely aware of what God has given you because hope begins with what you have, not what you can't answer. Hope begins with what you have, not what you can't answer. And see, the problem with the roller coaster is, the longer it goes, the more you get disoriented and the tireder you get. And the temptation when you're tired is you stop looking within yourself and you begin looking at what others have and where they're winning and where they're succeeding. It's then that you find yourself asking questions, oftentimes, to which there are no answers to. I tell people all the time, sometimes there are no answers, only better questions. And Elisha, instead of answering her question, he asks her another. Elisha challenges her to look inside again, to open her mind back to what she has. When the twists and the turns come, look inside. Look inside. Look inside yourself, at your ideas, your dreams, your passions, your hopes, your talents. You'll never endure the roller coaster when you're asking why others aren't on it or how or why you're on it. There is something deep inside of you that God will always use to restore your hope. Maybe you've tried, I get it. Maybe you've tried and you've tried and tried and now you're tired, but, but look again. It's there, it's there, it's in your house. It's in that dream, that idea, it's, it's in your passion. Don't believe the lie that you tell yourself, I'm not good at anything or I don't have any gifts, I don't have any talents. Yes, you do. It's in your house, it's in your house and hope begins with what you have. You see, she's looking outside. She's looking outside for answers. She's looking outside for stability, to someone else for stability, and Elisha is showing her that it's already there. She just can't see it. She can't see it because she's trying to answer why the twists have happened as opposed to what she has that will help her endure them. So Elisha questions her, and his question has helped her begin to see. He asks, and she answers, nothing at all. I don't have anything at all except a flask of olive oil. Now look, no good mother would think of selling her children if she didn't think she had tried everything else, which means, which means that our personal gifts and talents are often obscure to the possessor, that sometimes it's difficult for us to assess what we have. I mean, surely this woman wasn't about to give up her two sons if she had known that the solution to her problem was in her own house the entire time, right? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how sometimes you can believe in everybody else but you? You can see the talents God has given everybody else, but when you look at yourself, when you look in the mirror, when you look inside yourself, you say, I don't have anything. It's not. I have nothing. But listen, miracles are born in the mundane. Ordinary is the root of extraordinary. Things happen out of the things about yourself that you look and continue to take for granted. Maybe, I mean, Is it possible that you've been stepping over your own miracle, walking all around it, looking for something or someone else when it's been in front of you the whole time? It's important to notice that Elisha didn't bring anything new into this woman's house. He only exposed what she already had. And once she sees it, then comes the challenge, and the challenge makes no sense. Have you ever been given advice, and to you, the advice makes no sense, has that ever happened to you? right? The advice it makes you scratch your head, it almost makes you think like things would get worse, not better. It's like, tell her the truth. And you're like, oh, sure. But if I do that, if she finds out, then she's going to be even more mad, right? A few moments ago, we talked about giving and you're thinking, I can't even pay my bills now. I mean, I'd love to be generous, but if I am, I'd really be in trouble then, right? Like it makes no sense to you. And that's where this woman is. Elisha says to this woman, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. He says, go get your sons, the ones that you're about to lose, and send them out into the street to borrow these jars. And then he says, when you borrow them, borrow as many as you can. And it's like, whoa, 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 time out, time out. I'm no financial advisor, but she's already in debt, and you just told her to go out and borrow? The woman has come to you trying to get out of debt, and you just told her to go out and get in more debt? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But she isn't seeing clearly. Elisha is saying, You've been twisting and turning for so long that you've lost the ability to see what I can see. And Elisha, rather than solving her problem, he's helping her see that she had all she needed this whole time. He says, Then, after you borrow the jars, then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. You can feel it, can't you? You may not know how this story goes, but you can sense that something is about to happen. That somehow this is all going to work out. But see, here's the thing. She doesn't know that. Just like you don't know that about your story. You can't see anything good happening, can you? All you have is a few dollars, a rocky marriage. Your job contract is almost up. The bank has all your phone numbers. Like She has no idea how this is going to go down. So when he tells her to do that, she's thinking what you're thinking when it's your life. She's thinking, this isn't going to work. That's not going to do anything. That's not going to help. That's easy for you to say. If you only knew, like, there's so much more going on here. Look, no matter the arena of life we're talking about, whether it's relational, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, when you're going through it in life and somebody speaks into your life, you have two options, ignorance or obedience. Ignorance or obedience. And my guess is you've been on both sides of this equation, right? Like, you've given advice that's fallen on deaf ears before, haven't you? And in that moment, you—you've been there. You know that feeling where it's almost as if you can tell someone else's future. But see, here's the thing: have you ever made a fortune teller of someone else? Each of us has two options: ignorance or obedience. And thankfully, this woman not only hears, but she responds in obedience. She did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another after another and soon every one of them was full to the brim and she's like, bring me another jar. And the kid's like, there aren't any more. And that's when the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told Elisha what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay off your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. She had many needs and many debts. One pot of oil. She only had one thing, and that one thing led to everything. When it comes to hope, you need to look for it. Not in what or who you lost, not in what or who someone else is or who or what they have. Look at what God has given you. If someone says you've got a great personality, that may be the very thing that He uses to help you maintain hope. What's in your house? What is in your house? Don't be so quick to pass off what's right in front of you because hope begins with what you have, not what you can't answer. But it doesn't end there. Knowing what you have, it's step one for sure. But obedience during the ups and downs and twists and turns, it's everything. Obedience is everything. Our tendency in life is to hear wisdom and hear advice and refute it based on how we feel to dismiss it or justify why we don't need to heed the counsel we've been given. And see, for those of us who follow Jesus, who would call ourselves Christians, God has been so good. Our lives are in the Scriptures, and its pages are dripping with wisdom. And what you need to hear in the midst of your twists and turns and ups and downs, it's in the pages of Scripture, and God will speak through them to you no matter the circumstance or what is or isn't happening in your life. So rather than justifying why you aren't doing what God has already said or being ignorant in discovering what God has already said, spend some time, intentionally spend some time each day looking into the Word of God and allow it to speak to you and challenge you just as Elisha spoke to this woman. And again, rather than justifying why it doesn't apply to you or rationalizing what you think it means, would you simply be like this simple woman and obey? Because hope, it begins with what you have, not what you can't answer. And your miracle, your miracle, it's on the other side of your obedience. We're all tired. We're all frustrated and angry and bitter. We're all on edge. We're constantly edgy and irritated. We've all felt sick to our stomachs with all the ups and downs and twists and turns. But the good news isn't that the ride is almost over. The good news is that there can be hope no matter what comes our way. Hope isn't found out there. Hope can happen in here regardless of what happens out there. And it begins with taking stock of what's in your house. So. As you head back out there into your real world, I wanna pray that you will see what is in your house and that you will have the courage to obey what you've heard and what you know. That you would stop looking to what's out there for your hope, but rather you would discover that what you need is already here. It's found in the Lord and what he's already said and given you. We're gonna pick up in the story next week and I hope you'll join us for that, whether it's in person or online, but between now and then, Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be together right now in this moment. And I pray, God, that the words that have been shared, the story that we've looked at, I pray that it would impact each one of us in the ways that we need to be impacted. God, would you take this time and what's been shared and would you use it for your glory and deepen our hope as we begin to look at what you've already given us and that we would respond to what you've said and what you've given us with obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. God bless.